Good rainy evening to you out there in the internet land. Welcome to another edition of Folks Talking Sports, presented by the Houston Round Bar Review and sponsored by Five Star Properties. I am Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review. And joining me, it's going to be just me and this young man here, Andy Yanez from Gallery Sports. Willie Gibson is on assignment with the Cleveland Cavaliers this evening. And James Mueller is also busy. So it's just the two of us. Andy, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you? Doing all right. And just let everybody know who's watching us on the Houston Round Bar View on YouTube, as well as Folks Talk Sports on Twitter. That Folks Talking Sports is sponsored by Five Star Properties, a Dallas-based company owned by a UH alum. If you are facing foreclosure or need to sell your house as is for cash, call 972 972- 532-S-E-L-L, or visit their website at fivestarprops.com, www.f-i-v-e-s-t-a-r-p-r-o-p-s.com. Andy Yanez, I saw something that today that I didn't think I'd see, or I had no reason to believe I'd see this season, inside Tillman Fertitta's building. The Houston Cougars women's basketball team. Andy, I'm not sure they could play any better. They early dominated Tulane. They destroyed Tulane 82-36. Never trailed. Game was only tied with 0-0 at the tip. They shot 50 plus percent overall. They had a season high of 21 assists on 31 baskets. And Layla Blair, the team's best player, reached her thousand, scored a thousand point in a Houston career in the game on a driving layup. They didn't even need her points. Final score once again was Houston 82, Tulane 36. Tulane was 0 for 15 from three. Dang. Zero for 15 from three. A lot of air balls from Tulane. They had a lot of turnovers. They were never in the game. They had all kinds of problems with Houston's pressure defense. It's the Cougs' first sweep of Tulane since the 2017-2018 season. Tulane made 15 shots, had 27 turnovers. The Cougs scored 39 points off those 27 turnovers and had a 39-10 advantage in the points of turnovers. So once again, Coach Huey's Houston Cougars dismantled Tulane Green Wave. Final score, 82-36 today at home to complete the sweep. The the Cougs were 12 of 24 from three-point range. Season high for them. Tulane, I think, only had three assists. Season low for them. They even struggled from the foul line, going 6 for 14 from the free throw line. So they couldn't do anything right. (laughs) They couldn't. They could they struggle to make shots. Their starting point guard, I mean, kind of, sort of, she had nine turnovers. Nine. Herself. So just a, as Coach Huey said after the game, it was Houston's most complete performance this season offensively and defensively. They improved to five and three in conference play, halfway point of the conference season in the American on the women's side because they only played 16 games in conference play. The men played 18. So it was a big win for the Cougs. 
surprisingly easy win for the Cougs. But hey, Cameron Jones scored 16 points, led the team at 16. Layla Blair, Layla Blair and Bria Patterson each scored 13. And then Brittany Anijay scored 11. Brittany Anijay made three three pointers today in a game, Andy, for just the fourth time this season. Three or more. She had made two a few times, a lot of ones, because coming into the game, she was making, I think, just 23% of her three-point attempts. So that's been one of the reasons why the Cougs have struggled so much to score a lot of points was because Brittany Anijay was just struggling to make shots from three. But big win for the Cougs. We can talk about that surprise win. And I think the game was on ESPNU, I think. It was. So the national audience saw that. I did not see it. But after I spoke with Coach Huey, apparently Tulane's head coach, Lisa Stockton, I guess in the in the handshake after the game, uh, voiced some displeasure <laughs> with Coach Huey and uh, the aggressive defense they continued playing in the fourth quarter. <laughs> the Cougs played college basketball level. The Cougs played everybody. <laughs> I mean, every yeah. what he's supposed to do. Let's see. Ten players played for the Cougs. You can't. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tulane. It's not my fault. Your your, your guards aren't good enough to handle pressure defense or whatever. You know. Oops. Oh well. And Tulane is. Houston has been on the receiving end of some butt whippings from Tulane in previous years in the American. So not that long ago, going back. So I was surprised that Coach Huey told me that about Coach Stockton's reaction. But, oh, well, sorry, not sorry. We'll see if they match up in the conference tournament in Fort Worth in March. Maybe some some bad blood there. But anyway. A sweep of Tulane this season. Sweep of Tulane, yep. First time since 2017-2018. So big win for Houston Cougars women's basketball. And it was a good crowd today um, for the Cougars as well, considering women's basketball here in Houston. Overall, it's not a very good draw. But we can talk about that on this edition of Folks Talk Sports. Folks Talk Sports on Twitter, as well as on the Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel. Andy, this, when you, if you saw any of the game on TV or, or keeping up on Twitter, what, what was your reaction to some of some of the stuff you saw. I think the biggest reaction has to be on how well Houston played offensively. Like you said, I think this is not, you can't even put arguably, I think you can flat out say this is their most consistent performance across the board. It's particularly on offense in particular, how well they shot the ball. They were 31 of 57. They shot over 50% from the field. Like you mentioned with the three pointers, they shot exactly 50% from the three pointers on three pointers, 12 to 24. And I think that's been the biggest question mark all season long for Houston. When you look at how they were able to dominate Tulane in particular, when it came to forcing them into turnovers, you mentioned their point guard had nine turnovers. That's something that they've consistently been able to do throughout the stretch of the season. They've given teams fits, even the best team in the conference that sits undefeated right now in South Florida. Mm-hmm. The biggest question mark for Houston has been, can they match their defense with production on offense? And like you said, a big reason for it has been kind of the key players coming into the season that they expected to be better offensively have had their struggles. And tonight, that wasn't the case. Top to bottom, the team just is one of those games where every 
every season at this level, there's going to be a game where the team's hot and the, the Cougars were hot in this game. Now the, the biggest question mark going forward is can they bottle it up and make a true run heading into the final stretch of the American Athletic Conference schedule? And, of course, really when it matters, into the conference postseason tournament because that's what it's going to take for them to be able to make an improbable run and win out that postseason tournament to get into the NCAA tournament. Because even if they ran the table, I still don't see them being able to be in a large bid for the NCAA tournament. So it's going to take three consecutive, maybe four, depending on where they finish on now with this win. They, they're tied with <laughs> it's a, such an interesting thing when you look at the American schedule. They're tied with four other teams. Uh, I guess technically they're tied for second at five and three with Tulsa, SMU, and East Carolina. Of course, you had Houston in the mix there as well, but they're going to have to be able to string together at least three, possibly four days of maybe not necessarily shooting over 50% from the field, but at a point where. They're, they're just good enough offensively because their defense has been a, a stellar play all season long. It's been consistent all, all season long. So really the biggest question is on offense. Yeah, they haven't shot well a lot for most of this season. They gave South Florida fits when South Florida played in Houston a few weeks ago. But uh, today was their best performance offensively and defensively. And they did not turn the ball over a lot themselves. I think only had like 13 turnovers themselves, which usually they're in the high teens, if not low 20s with turnovers. So the most complete performance all season. And it didn't start out that way because in their first possession of the game, Layla Blair rolled her right ankle. I think she either stepped on a teammate's foot or some of them two lanes foot. And she limped, and naturally, you couldn't really tell if it was her ankle or her knee. Coach Huey said after the game, he thought it was her knee. That was his first concern. But she limped a little bit, was able to play defense when the ball went down. Tulane had the ball on offense for their first possession. And then Coach Huey subbed for her. And as she limped to the sideline, the closer she got to the sideline, the less she limped. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know if it was the adrenaline or what, but then the train, train looked at her and just retaped her ankle, taped it tighter. She went back in the game roughly like a minute later, so it didn't take long. And she finished, you know, off the game, got her 11 points, 13 points, including points seven and eight to get her to the thousand points in her career, becoming the 29th Cougar to reach 1,000 points in her UH career. But that first initial reaction, like, oh no, Layla Blair, best player. On the, on the day, her first chance to get 1,000 points doesn't get a chance to even finish the, four, the first quarter, you know, but that was not the case. So kudos to the team. They got a big one at Memphis on Wednesday because I think Memphis is one of those teams at five and three. And Tulane beat Tulsa. And Tulsa at the time, I think, was undefeated in conference play. So Tulane was playing well. They didn't play well today. And yeah, like you said, it's going to be a a tough challenge because Memphis, they're right behind Houston. They're four and four, but only a game difference is part of that. That really top to bottom outside of USF. USF has built a nice, comfortable lead in the American Athletic Conference standings. But from second all the way to seventh with Temple, it's it's a game of a a difference is one game between all those teams. So it's going to be an interesting way how they, things shake up down the stretch of the season in the conference, in the American Athletic Conference. And after 
UH plays at Memphis on Wednesday. Temple comes to town on Saturday. So mm-hmm. everybody's bunched up and they get a chance to maybe uh, get some separation, separation with, some, with um, some wins this week. I saw, uh, by the way, folks are watching us, Jarris Walker and Jamal Shedd were at today's game as well, sitting in one of the first rows lower where we used to sit. They were in the, like the first row. They hung around for first half and early part of the third quarter. I saw them getting some snacks as well, and then they went about their their business after that. But by that point, the game was pretty much over. <laughs> in the third quarter, the Cougs went on a – I think they outscored Tulane. Tulane may, may have scored the first four points of the third, basically, and Houston went on a 28-4 run after that. So it, it was over. Any any hint of a Tulane comeback was killed in the third quarter. And Jarrett and Jamal were out of here, <laughs> so they left. But it was good to see them there at the game because for a few of the home games, the guys, if they were in town, have supported the women's team at, at home also. Speaking of women's, speaking of the men, the fellas, let's talk about yesterday's comeback, Saturday's comeback. And for those who were not watching us live and listening to us on any, any of the audio podcast platforms, Cougs trailed by 13 points twice Saturday versus Cincinnati, but they came back and won. Your thoughts on the comeback Saturday for the Cougs, who sh- I think should move up to second in the the polls. I don't care about AP and coaches poll, but your thoughts on the comeback? Well, they should be after Alabama lost. I think it'd be interesting if they chose another team to leapfrog Houston. I think, you know, when it comes to the game against Cincinnati, I think it showed a lot of mental toughness from the Houston Cougars because they a couple of different obstacles that they faced in that game, one being the largest effort that they faced all season long early in the first half when they were down by 13. I think they showed a lot of versatility as well, too. We saw Kelvin Sampson go to a four-guard lineup really in a crucial stretch uh, to end the first half there when Jawan Roberts had picked up his second foul. I think he, Kelvin Sampson, wasn't happy with, with kind of what Javier Francis was giving him during that game against the Bearcats. So that was that was crucial, and Kelvin even said so. They bought him time is kind of the way he phrased it, just in terms of being able to make a run, cut the deficit to, I, I believe they got it to as much as four right before halftime before Cincinnati hit the half-court buzzer beater. Uh, they push it back to seven, but then even down the stretch as well. Of course, uh, the main story was with freshman forward Jarris Walker, who had a career-high 25 points, and he could have had even more than that when, when it came to the free-throw line had he been able to knock down a few free-throws. But, you know, that's something that Kelvin said, too, when it comes to the free throws that uh, certainly from a fan perspective, they've kind of been if there's one area to nitpick about needing to improve, it's been those free throws and not even nitpick. It is an area that they have, especially come tournament time. That could be something that kind of rears its ugly head come March. But when it mattered down the stretch, Jamal Shea and Marcus Cesar were able to hit their free throws. Jarris Walker hit some big shots to keep Houston within striking distance. And then Jamal Shedd hit the big go-ahead shot with 47 seconds left in the game as the shot clock was winding down. And overall, just finding a way to win. That's something that Kelvin said after the game. Come March, they're not going to talk about oh, they were down 13 and they came back and beat Cincinnati. The only talk about they, they were able to come out with a win against the Bearcats. And now all the attention turns to Thursday against Wichita State. And then a week from today, Sunday, at Philadelphia, the rematch with Temple, which obviously the Owls were able to come into the Fertitta Center and defeat the Cougars uh, not too long ago. 
And Wichita State won today against East Carolina, I think, on the road. They won in Greenville. But the little bit I saw of that game, the crowd was dead. I mean, it, it was like a library in there mm-hmm. in, in the first half. The Shockers were up. At that point, I saw by double digits, and that might have taken the crowd out of the game. I don't know if it was just dead from the jump or whatever, but it was just like, ooh, I felt bad as on TV. I mean, it was just no mm-hmm. life in the building whatsoever. But the Shockers coming off a win. I think they have four wins now in conference. So it's going to be a road game for the Cougs. They're undefeated in conference play. Well, heck, undefeated really <laughs> this season. On the road. Because, yeah, yeah they're on the road because their losses have been at home, the two losses. But the Shockers, they're playing better. The Cougs are still the better team. They just have to play like it. And if they play like it, then they should win the game Thursday. Shifting gears, I got a few things I want to bring out to Tony M who's watching us on YouTube, anybody watching us on Twitter. But first, reminder to everyone that Folks Talking Sports is being sponsored by Five Star Properties, a Dallas-based company owned by a UH alum. If you are facing foreclosure or need to sell your house as is for cash, call 972-532-SELL. And let me shift the banner so you can see the phone number on the screen. 972-532-SELL. I remember it by heart. How about that, Andy? Oh, not bad for an old man. Uh, phone number right there, 972-532-7355. Website, www.5starprops.com. Tony M, get ready for this because I want your your thoughts on what I'm going to say. Andy, you and Dayon touched on a little bit after the show yesterday at Let's Rage Cougs. We talked off air. But thought about it some more when I saw these comments from Coach West Virginia head coach Bob Huggins. K-State, Kansas State, in some bracketology, some, not, not half I've seen, but some, a few, is being considered as a number one seed in this year's men's tournament. I have an issue, a big issue, a big bone to pick with that. Reason being, K-State's non-conference schedule, Andy, they, they played they, non-conference. Before, before Florida's game, yesterday in the SEC, Big 12 Challenge, which they were, you know, that's mandate, mandated between the two conferences. You know, they were scheduled to play Florida in, that, in the challenge. K-State had not played any other Quad one opponent, yeah, Florida's quad two. So no other opponent, non-conference for Kansas State, was quad one. Their quad one opponents are all in conference play, all Big 12 opponents. So their non-conference strength of schedule is like around 300, 305, 310, 311, whatever. So their quadrant one wins have all come in conference. Well, that's in conference. They had nothing to do with who you're playing in conference. So I have an issue with rewarding any team. This year it has to be Kansas State. But any team who does not schedule tougher opponents, non-conference, and get it, giving them, considering them for number one seed. Your thoughts on that? And then my additional ammo kind of is from Bob Huggins. 
this yesterday was the last day of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Ended after 10 years. Next year, it's going to be, I think, the ACC-SEC Challenge. So the Big 12 won't have a challenge yet. There's potentially, Big I think East Andy Katz, he mentioned in November, Big 12 Big East Challenge. Huggy says he doesn't believe there should be a challenge for the Big 12. Quote, I don't know why we would need one. The numbers tell you it's far and away, being Big 12, the hardest league. And all the people who come up with the numbers continue to say that you could pretty much fill the top five spots with all Big 12 teams. And conceivably more than that, tossing the Cougs next year. I think people ought to worry about playing with people in our league, not vice versa. So considering what Huggy just said, well, quote, K-State in their lame non-conference schedule, just what are your thoughts about teams in the Power Five conferences or Big 12 conferences or, or just a, in the best conference in basketball? Because some years at some point it won't be the Big 12 not scheduling tough teams in non-conference play, but still be considered as a number one seed in a tournament. Well, in the specific case, case of K-State, I think you know, a lot has to be said that they have been able to, to take a part of that tough Big 12 schedule and be able to come away with tough quad one wins. I think your your biggest issue is that when it comes to the non-conference, which is something they can control, it's not the conference schedule, which they they cannot control. They're essentially being rewarded for scheduling a cupcake schedule for lack, obviously, for phrasing it in a different way and kind of putting all the chips on the table when it comes to the conference schedule. They're kind of banking on the Big 12 being good and kind of being able to earn all those quarter one opportunities in that way. And then when you turn it around and say, for example, a team like in the American Athletic Conference where you know, for the non-conference portions, Houston's a little bit different because of where they are from a national perspective standpoint as the light goes out for the third time in the past week. Uh, when it comes to schools like Memphis that always have to schedule a tough non-conference schedule and go up against those Power 5 schools during their non-conference, and sometimes, I know in years past, just kind of dug them a hole because they're going up against strong opponents. They sometimes don't come away with wins because they're going up against really, really tough opponents. And then once they get into the conference schedule, well, heck, then they have that bias against the American Athletic Conference. Right. If they lose to a Tulane, if they lose to Houston, they lost Temple. Now, those are losses that, especially if they have a tough non-conference schedule, they aren't necessarily able to come away with a quad one win. And then they turn around and it's a conference. Whenever you face conference opponents, you're bound to lose to a few of them because it, it, they, they know you better. They see you every year. Mm -hmm. And obviously when it comes to games, they're going to be, they're going to be with this Kellen Sampson, call them all, all road games or street fights where you can kind of say the same thing for conference games, especially when it comes to the familiarity aspect of it especially towards the top of the conference, regardless of whatever conferences uh, you're in. So I could see that argument from it. I think in the, in the particular case of K-State, I think for this season, maybe it they're, they're fortunate that the Big 12 is as strong as they 
as it is because they are able to kind of escape the the not necessarily having to schedule strong non-conference opponents because of how good the Big 12 is. And at the end of the day, they still have to go out and get victories against those tough opponents during the conference schedule. I think I see your argument. I don't think there could there there's something that should be penalized for K-State, especially if they're able to continue to get those quad one wins against Big 12 opponents. I will say this because in any given year, you don't necessarily know how teams, how stuff will shake out. You know, it could certainly backfire, say, if during non-conference, the Big 12 didn't look as strong as it turned out to be. Well, then a team like Kent State's kind of, you know, stuck because if they weren't able to get any of those uh, signature wins during non-conference and then the conference schedule turns out to be not as strong as you expected it to be, well, then you're really fighting an uphill battle to try to get into the NCAA tournament. K-State has the luxury of being able to be in that tough conference and did shook up the way many expected and going forward. I mean, next year it's expected to be even tougher. Tougher Now, I will say when it comes to the challenges aspect of it from a fan perspective, obviously, you always like to see that inner conference, the top power five conferences mm-hmm. going up against each other. That's that's kind of the draw, especially when it comes to outside of the NCAA tournament. You don't necessarily get those marquee matchups as often and and a challenge like the SEC and Big 12 challenge is pretty cool because I mean you got to see Oklahoma that they're not ranked but they're still they're a scrappy team right in the middle of the Big 12 because they've been able to beat tough opponents during our conference schedule and they turn around and they absolutely destroyed Alabama which is something that I know from a Crimson Tide perspective I know right now they're probably not too happy with the result that game but that's going to help them come March Madness time to kind of get a better feel or take lessons from that game and then I, I I don't know what all the the challenges how the games played out but I believe the Big 12 might have won all but one of them if I'm not mistaken uh, they went seven and three seven three so a couple more lost um, so yeah Iowa I know State TCU lost, lost. TCU Iowa lost State. TCU lost because Mike Miles got injured you know and he's makes the engine go for TCU so that hurt their chances right. to win on the road but yeah they won the challenge and I think overall, in 10 years of it, the Big 12 won five. It was like five, three, and two. I think there that's was a what few it was. Ties, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think that that's something that, especially from fans base, fan base, is much better because you don't get those matchups necessarily that you, unless if it's like in the NCAA tournament or the individual schools themselves are able to set up a home and home. It's cool to, for, I mean, look at it, it lasted 10 years, the Big 12 and SEC challenge, which you kind of can, can bank on. Hey, these are going to be some cool opportunities, especially when. UT and Oklahoma leave to still be able to have keep in touch with some rivalries without necessarily having to schedule uh, from an individual school standpoint. I think it's cool to be able to have that competition between conferences and and have it set year in and year out. Now, when it comes to the comments in particular that the Big 12 is so good that they don't necessarily need it, it, it comes across as super arrogant. And, yeah. You know, eventually, like you said, eventually the Big 12 is not going to be the best conference in basketball. And someone will, to, will come and dethrone the Big 12. And then you know, then you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe the conference schedule is not going to be as strong as it has been in years past. And we don't necessarily have an opportunity for some of our top schools to be able to get those signature wins. You know, and, and let me be clear. My my issue with the bracketologist because like Joel Linardi, he has K State as a, like a three seed. My issue is with the guys 
And again, if anybody knows of females doing bracketology for men's hoops, let me know because I, I want to give them some shine as well. But there are some bracketology who are considering, and not considering, they have K-State as a one seed. And then despite the non-conference schedule being what it is, and see if I can get the exact number for the K-State non-conference sport today at three games of yesterday, 305. Their net non-conference schedule, strength of schedule is 305. 305, okay? Their one Q1 win in non-conference against teams not in the Big 12. They're, hell, their one game against teams non-conference was against Nevada in a neutral side tournament in uh, it was the Cayman Islands Classic. Which, they, again, is something. They faced Nevada and LSU. Okay, now Andy, in most years, you would think LSU would be a tournament team. Mm-hmm. Okay, not this year. I'm going to the argument people made against the Cougs in last couple of years. Well, you know, the Cougs non-conference they did not beat anybody in terms like it was Oregon Butler. Butler hasn't been good in years, Chris. You know. Well, the time they were scheduled to play, you know, I mean, all, you heard all these things tossing rocks at the Cougs non-conference schedule. Why aren't you tossing these rocks at Kansas State for their non-conference schedule? And they still do it this season, even with you know the non-conference game they played with Oregon. They lost to Alabama, so they kind of hold like Houston to the standard. Like, see, whenever they played a tough opponent, they couldn't beat them. And they tend to not be as strong when it comes to that road win at Virginia, which at the time it was an undefeated Virginia team, yep. a really strong Virginia team. And... Just because they lost to Temple and have struggled in recent conference games, they kind of tend to be like, well, see, come tournament time, Houston shouldn't be a one seed because they're struggling in the American Athletic Conference, which going back to post game against Cincinnati, Kelvin Sampson kind of, uh, he seems like he's starting to get fed up with the yeah. perspective, with the, the, narrative, the word he used, narrative that is circulating, certainly from national aspects of the American Athletic Conference. And also... I know the Cougs are going to the Big 12 in a few months, so this would be a moot point, okay? I, I, I get all that. But right now, I mean, hell, non-conference, clearly, just talking non-conference, the Cougs win at Virginia is better than any non-conference win that K-State has, period. The time that was a team that was ranked number two in the country in both polls. Yeah, period. In the Virginia net. Net top. now is 15. Okay, at the time, at the time it's, probably, it's probably better than that. Top 10, I believe. But as of today, as of we're doing this FTS, January 29th, Virginia's net is 15. Non-conference is still better than anybody K-State played non-conference. Kansas, the Jayhawks, struggled. They struggled more at home in conference play this year than recent years. You ask Oklahoma State fans, uh, Jayhawks got some home cooking and should have lost to Oklahoma State at home. In Kansas, but you don't hear well of Kansas as you touched on about the Cougs. Well, Kansas is they're really struggling at home against against the Big Twelve teams. But for the Cougs, oh well, see the Cougs aren't very good. They're they're struggling against at home against you know teams in the American. Boy, the, the narrative, man. I mean, you once you get an in, once you're in, you're in. <laughs> I guess once you're in the Big Twelve, you're you're considered the best conference in basketball. It doesn't matter who you're playing in the conference or how you're playing at home or whatever. 
well, you know, it's because Big 12 is so tough. You know, that's, hey, what do you expect? I mean, home or road. I mean, hey, Oklahoma State, blah, blah, blah. But the Cougs, well, you know, they, they really are struggling. Are we, are we sure they're as good as, as folks think they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. But a, another thing. And going the conference, back to, something they cannot control. Yes. Coach Huggins and the arrogance. I'm concerned. It's, it's really down the line. But his mentality of where well, we're the toughest conference in basketball, that teams like that or some coaches like that will, especially if you reward, if K-State gets a number one seat. Let me be clear. I'm talking about a number one seat, okay? Not two, three, whatever. Number one seat is rewarded for their really weak non-conference schedule that more teams in the future in the so-called best conference in basketball or any Power 5 program will begin to schedule softer and softer non-conference, which will ultimately weaken the non-conference schedule for all of us, fans of basketball, media, TV. I don't want that. I want to see the best teams play the best teams in non-conference. You're not going what – what do coaches say? Coaches worth a damn. You know, coach like Coach Sampson. We like the competition. We would like to gauge where we are in non-conference. It helps us get helps us get better. Well, iron sharpens iron. So I I like seeing Houston play Alabama. Houston playing Virginia. I like seeing Kansas play Duke. Kansas, you know, not talking about the SEC Big Twelve challenge. You know, I like seeing those top five, top 10, top 15, top 20 matchups. I don't want to see – you and I were critical of some of the non-conference games for the Cougs this year. A handful of those is okay. I understand it, a handful. But not six, seven, eight. You know, I, that's what I'm afraid of is that the big-time programs end up playing eight, nine, ten non-conference cream puffs with the rationale, well, our conference schedule is going to be so tough, we don't want to get burnt out before, before conference play. That's just not a competitive mindset that I, that I agree with. Your thoughts on that? No, absolutely. <laughs> you know, then you're going to have – because like you said, if, if K-State is rewarded for being able to not have what you said they're in the 300 when it comes to their rankings of their non-conference schedule and sure like I said they are having to go through the fire the big 12 schedule but then you know what's the incentive especially for teams that I, I did say there is a caveat because it could backfire but say you know for a team for let's use Houston for example you know next year in the big 12 they're going to be in a continent schedule because that big 12 conference is going to be crazy and then you look at the schools that are going in with them into the the big 12 and the ones that are already there and then so for a school like Houston what kind of incentive especially if Kansas State is able to get a uh, number one seed what kind of incentive is there to you know, this year schedule opponents like and obviously, it's going to be it's going to be a different method to madness with how uh, the schedules are are created for Houston going forward. But instead of playing Virginia, Oregon, Alabama, who they played this year, I'll replace them with uh, 
more of those quad four, quad three opponents. Heck, even scheduling some, um, maybe not the exhibition games, but it, being able to schedule games against those opponents that are those lower tier that you know on a given night you're going to be able to beat them comfortably by at least 30 points, if not more, just because, you know, at the end of the day, we're just trying to stack up those wins come conference schedule. We just have to be able to be competitive in those games and be able to come up with some victories and we'll be good for the NCAA tournament. Like you said, it does take away from a lot of that competitive standpoint when what from a fan perspective, what you want to see is a lot of these teams, you, know, you want to see those challenges. You want to see matchups against the, the best, not only in college basketball, but against those premier programs. And it's something that if teams are rewarded for not having a tough conference schedule, there's less incentive to do so. Agreed. And the committee says, and we'll hear it, I think the first reveal of the top 16 will be, I think, February 18th. So I think you'll probably hear from uh, the rep- representative. I forget his name, but he was here in town for the media tip-off. It'll come to uh, Chris Reynolds, I believe is his name, the chairperson of the men's committee this year. He'll talk about the body of work of a team. Well, body of work, non-conference schedule is part of the body of work. Who you schedule, who you play, how you do in non-conference is part of your overall schedule. That needs to be, in my opinion, that needs to be considered when you're talking about considering teams for the one seed line, specifically the one seed line, okay? That's important because if you water down and just forget about the body of work and solely focus on the conference schedule, then you're making it harder for all the non-power programs. The little, the smaller, you know, not even, I'm talking about the middle tier guy, not the sisters of the poor, the middle tier, like the American next year when the Cougs are in Big 12. What is Memphis going to do if going forward, all the, you're going to focus on is the conference schedule? Well, hell, if you're not in the, the Big 12, SEC, Big 10, ACC, and possibly still the Pac-12, the rest of the teams are just screwed if you're going to just focus on the conference schedule. Right. Because you have no <laughs> chance of getting a quad, a quad one win then. And well, it, not no it, chance, but very little chance. Right. It, it decreases the incentive for schools that are in those Power Five uh, conferences to schedule games with the top teams that aren't in the, the Power Five conferences. Because, like you said, what incentive does a team like Alabama, what incentive does a team like North Carolina, Gonzaga, any of those schools have? Well, Gonzaga is separate because they're not a part of that Power Five uh status yet but what incentive do they have to play a team like memphis heck a team like temple they continue to play like how they are they aren't a part of those power five programs when potentially they could end up walking away with a loss when they don't need to they could just schedule an opponent against another opponent where they pretty much have a good chance of winning and it's gonna result the result's gonna be the same for them and like you said it does hurt those non-power five schools that aren't gonna have a gauntlet conference schedule certainly a schedule, a conference that's not going to be viewed in that way from a national perspective. It is going to overall hurt the conference and hurt teams overall that aren't part of that dynamic. And once again, reminding everybody who's watching us on Folks Talk Sports on Twitter, as well as on the Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube, Folks Talk Sports is sponsored by Five Star Properties, a Dallas-based company owned by a UH alum, a proud UH alum. 
ahead. What are you going to say? I didn't mean to cut you out. Breaking news after that ad readout. I'll, uh... Okay. If you're facing foreclosure or need to sell your house as is for cash, call 972-532-SELL, 972-532-7355, or visit the website www.5starprops.com. That's www.f-i-v-e-s-t-a-r-p-r-o-p-s.com. What's your breaking news, my man? So I just saw Mark Berman with Fox 26 reported first, and I just had it confirmed by someone else, a source close with the Houston Gurus program. But Ramon Walker Jr. is going to be taking a medical redshirt for the remainder of this season. He still has three years of eligibility left, but he's going to be taking that medical redshirt and will not play for the Houston Cougars for the remainder of this season, which uh, we're, I mean, Houston's already, the next game's going to be into February. So that's, that's a interesting outcome, especially, you know, we, we know with some fans, they've wanted Ramon Walker back in the rotation. They feel like he would be able to help Houston with some of their, maybe not struggles, but some of areas in particular when it comes to rebounding, something that, that Calvin mentioned uh, yesterday after the game or on Saturday after the game in terms of our rebounding is one of those stats that really show a team's toughness. And that's something that Ramon Walker was known for last season as a freshman. And really, it, it, it kind of puts an end to a season that really never got going for Ramon Walker. It was a lot of on and off with various different issues that he had throughout the course of the season. And hopefully after taking that leave of absence earlier in the month, he was able to come back with the program and he went through warmups yesterday before Cincinnati. He's still very much a part of the team, but now he knows that he's not going to, he's not going to play for the remainder of the season for Houston. And I'll let Ramon and Coach Kelvin Sampson go into details that they want to about the medical red shirt. But you and I discussed, have discussed, have heard from our sources within the program. We're not surprised by this uh, news. Uh, there's, there's possibly more to it, mm-hmm. but that's not for us to say. Ramon wants to get into that. Ramon say that himself or Coach Sampson discuss it, but it I'm glad it's resolved. So fans can stop asking, you know, about mm-hmm. Ramon playing and all those things, because they're things that we can't say publicly. And well, no, let me say this. We can we but choose it's, not it's to say. Yeah, yeah, we choose not to say. So we just keep it like that because it, it's we operate differently than some colleagues. You make of that what, what you will. But we know more and have been told more, have heard more, but this there's something we've chosen not to disclose publicly. So now we know that Ramon will get the medical red shirt for the rest of this season, and we wish him well going forward. On as we these few more minutes of folks talking sports, got a few more things to kick around with you. Um, spring football game. Some, some, very few, but some Big 12 opponents have announced the date for the 2023 spring football game. We know, courtesy of colleague Willie Gibson, that the Ohio State Buckeyes already announced their date for their spring game. The Longhorns, they're still in the Big 12 for now, announced that their spring game will be, and it's, you know, it is a practice, glorified practice. 
but it will take place April 15th. The Sooners, theirs will take place April 22nd. That is it as far as current or, or new uh, Big 12 members. No one else has yet announced their date. I forget. I think Iowa State, I, I did some quick checking early to, earlier today, and I want to say one school, Big 12 school, was um, they had their spring date the first Friday or Saturday last year in May. So it's possible to, you know, not have the spring game until May. Uh, Cincinnati last year had theirs on a Friday, and they publicized it roughly two weeks ahead of time. So we're, we've been critical, especially me, been critical of UH administration for how late they announced this, the date for the spring game last year. What was it a week? I think <laughs> last year was just a week ahead of time. A few days before. Mm -hmm. So the Bearcats were just a few days more than two that. Weeks. So two weeks. <laughs> you know, I think it, it might have been 10, 10 days, 12 days, maybe no more than two weeks. But I'm saying it again here. Please, UH administration, take advantage of momentum that is building for the football program, athletics, Big 12, July 1st becomes official. Announce the spring football game and promote it. Andy, we saw, I don't know the guys, but we saw a lot of high school juniors at Saturday's basketball game between the Cougs and Bearcats. Yesterday they've was, had it for the last couple of games. They had them for the Temple game as well. Which so, yeah, so that's it's good to see Junior Day. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd have to let me. You'd have to tell me if, if that was promoted on Twitter. But uh, it's good to see them doing that. It's good to see the outreach to some of the talented football players in the area coming to the basketball games. That's that's good to see. I saw. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce his, his first name. Uh, was it D Dan D Dan Thomas the Dan D E D A N Thomas was a high school teammate of uh, big big man Houston big man Cedric Lott. He was, I guess, I think at the game yesterday. He is one of the top point guards in the class of twenty four for hoops. He was at yesterday's game because he tweeted a workout drill that said was doing. Uh, and it's it's a tough drill for big men. Ball, one ball on each side of the free throw lane. Going from block to block and dunking. Block to the block, ball. picking the ball up from the floor, deadlift, yeah. turning and dunking. And then going to other other block, picking the ball up, turning and dunking over and over and back and forth. So sometimes you recruit a player because of the teammate. Just saying, said Lot has a bright future. He's very raw. But his high school teammate, Mr. Thomas, is considered one of the top point guards in the class of 2024. So, and Houston is one of his six uh, choices, his final choices. So that's good to see. So the fact that he retweeted that could be a positive going forward for the Cougs. So all that, that's good. But spring football game, announce it as soon as you can. Please do that. Andy, you touched, you said it regarding conference, non-conference schedules and non-power five programs about Gonzaga. San Diego State feels like they are in the driver's seat. They have leverage 
that they're trying to play between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 in terms of an invite. They believe that they are the best college program remaining in Southern California that is not in a Power 5 program with USC and UCLA going to the Big 10. San Diego State with the facilities up being upgraded, the new football stadium, which I think has this number might be an exaggeration, but the football stadium has possibly as much as 100 craft beers inside <laughs> the stadium because the city of San Diego is like the home of craft beer. So that was one of the, the tie-ins to the stadium they wanted to you know, co-promote the, the cross-promote the craft beer scene in San Diego with the football stadium. So San Diego State believes That's that they cool. have a great shot of being invited to the Pac-12. But the AD said, basically, Pac-12, George Klickoff, commissioner, don't wait too long because if the Big 12 comes calling, y'all take too long, and the Big 12 comes calling, we're going to the Big 12. If they do come calling, San Diego State could be a very good partner for Gonzaga for the Big 12. What do you think about that, Mr. Yanez? Absolutely. You're adding two programs that really get to extend the initial statement that Big 12 Commissioner Bray Yarmark said when he first took over about being able to nationalize the Big 12 Conference. Then right there you get are able to expand into that Western time zone, which is really the, the time zone that's left to expand into when it comes to the big 12 because BYU is kind of taking care of that mountain time zone. And of course, maybe uh, San Diego and, and Gonzaga, those would be uh, remaining fits to be able to have that portion, that Western portion of the United States to be able to reach that goal that Yomark set out when he first took over. And a quote from uh, San Diego state, AD Wicker, you want San Diego state in your league. This is to George Klyukov because you don't want us in the Big 12. All the Big 12 schools would have a reason to come to Southern California to recruit. End quote. He's right about that. If the Pac-12 waits too long or the offer is not good enough, because he, he, he's expecting a full media rights share initially. That's bold. <laughs> That's going as your first year as a new member in the Pac-12. I don't think he expects that for the Big 12, but in the Pac-12, full media rights share, and that if the Pac-12 does not come through with that, he seems open to the idea of possibly to go into the Big 12. Because, you know, I wouldn't mind going to San Diego for some, for some, uh, for media day or, or taking a, a game or two here and there, the atmosphere, the, the beach life, you know, I'm old, but I'm not blind. <laughs> so, uh, so that'd be it's it's leverage, good bit of leverage for him in San Diego State. We'll see what happens. Everybody is still waiting for the Pac-12 to announce their media rights deal. John Wilner, the Pac-12 beat guy, uh, believes that a deal will be announced these first in the first quarter of this year. But he said 
that if it doesn't happen, does not happen in March, it all bets are off. <laughs> because if it doesn't happen by then, then something has gone wrong. The money's not as good as they thought. And then chaos might ensue if it doesn't happen. These, I mean, hell, right now, pretty much January is done. So February and March. So these next two months, almost 60 days, if it, a meteorites deal is not announced by the Pac-12, these next 60 days, then look out. So we shall see about that. Uh, Tony M would would like he's he's all for San Diego. Flying to San Diego be a great trip. Beautiful city. It's been a long, long time since I was in California, San Diego. So you know, I wouldn't mind those. From my perspective, media wise, you know, we're good to go because we get credential media pass and get in the games. We're not have to pay for tickets, you know, game tickets. So it's good for us. But recruiting, California got a lot of talent. And Big 12, hey, they would love that, love that opportunity. But it would be, it would, and it would be a black eye to the Pac 12 if you waited too long and allowed the Big 12 to swoop in and get San Diego State and then have recruiting in your state. So anything's possible. We shall see follow-up from last Sunday's mention of the Pac-12 and the overpayments of $50 million from a uh, cable distributor. That was Comcast. Comcast had been overpaying the Pac-12 $5 million per year for years. And the audit was discovered. And the Pac-12 initially thought it was an underpayment from Comcast. So that's why they, they ordered the audit. Because they thought they were getting underpaid. And it turns out that they were getting overpaid. <laughs> so the Pac-12 still had a lot of things to figure out and iron out there. But let's see. What are your thoughts on the logic of the Big 12, San Diego State recruiting California? Oh, it'd be great. It'd be great overall for a lot of these teams in the Big 12, especially when I think it makes it much more interesting because obviously when you think of California, I'd imagine that the biggest recruits go to these three schools in UCLA, USC, and Oregon. Those three are kind of, I'd imagine, are the big, are the top three, uh, the top schools in that region. Now you start factoring schools like um <clears throat> at Houston to the mix, but you add schools all across Texas that could potentially start recruiting into California, especially if they did have to travel uh, for games against, against San Diego state and potentially even up into the, the Northwest, the Pacific Northwestern region. If Gonzaga were to be added as well, well, not Gonzaga, not for football, but in, regardless, even in basketball, if you had to go up there to, to play in the conference schedule and play those schools, already getting into the mountain region with BYU. I think absolutely it just continues to make make it much more interesting in terms of being able to shake things up. I know from that perspective, UCLA and USC, specifically when it comes to San Diego State, they probably are not going to be, would not be happy, would not want that to happen because I think it's it's much more interesting because UT and and OU wouldn't be in the conference if Big 12 was still in the conference and they were able to expand. That would make it much more interesting and being able to take away uh, from that recruiting pool. But nonetheless, it still opens things up and allows 
things to to be shaken up a bit more. And we have not heard Commissioner Yormark publicly state that his goal has changed from making the Big 12 a national conference, you know, still wants to go west. I don't believe he's deviated from that yet. So maybe he's working behind the scenes and he's waiting for the Pac-12 and see what George Klikoff's going to do, or waiting for George Klikoff to continue shooting himself in the foot. Um, you know, yeah, with PR, that could be the smartest strategy. Yeah, just wait it out. But we'll see because, Andy, we still haven't heard about the Big 12 football schedule. It has not yet been released. So we're still waiting on that. Right. Because you still want to back up your guarantee, get, get the chance for the Longhorns to come to Houston and get beat, right? Yes, and I think it's looking good that that will still be the case regardless of whatever happens, whatever the holdup is. They need to hurry up so I can know what the official date is. Well, I will have my guarantee come true come fall of 2023. Fall of this year, we're already into 2023. And that'll wrap it up here in these final moments of Folks Talking Sports, sponsored by Five Star Properties. Once again, always much appreciation to the sponsor, Five Star Properties. Go to the website, fivestarproperties.com. Big appreciation to them. But, Andy, anything you want to say in closing, your final minutes on this edition of Folks Talking Sports? No, other than people can find me on Twitter, Aonis underscore five. Be sure to check us out for the Let's Reach Cougs postgame show streaming after each and every Houston Cougars men's basketball game. And once again, the fall for the football games as well. We'll be back on Thursday for some hashtag LRC after dark following Houston's 8 p.m. tip off game against Wichita State. And other than that, just continue. It'll be interesting to continue to monitor the situation uh, where it looks like now that Ramon Walker has registered for the remainder of the season. And next week's Folks Talking Sports won't be Sunday because you'll be in Philadelphia for the game against Temple. Kuzan gets Temple. So I'll have to figure out when we're going to do the next FTS. And then the following week, the big game Sunday – for the NFL. I think we can compete with the Super Bowl, Chris. I'll, I'll be in Tampa. I'll be in Tampa mm. for women's game against South Florida. It's a one o'clock start, so it'll be done before the, the big game. So assuming I'm sober, um, <laughs> we could possibly do FTS before I go, go out partying with some friends in Tampa. So, but yeah, okay, we'll figure Chris. it out. It could be a KG after dark. FTS style because Rocket fans know what I do with KG After Dark on the Let's Talk Houston Rocket shows because I get my, my glass in hand and say cheers to my to my fans who watch, <laughs> watch that show. But we hope you enjoyed it. Tony M, thank you as always for being the, the rock that you are supporting the Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel and the shows we have on this on this channel. Adolphus A. D. Moore will have the Admax Corner around 9 o'clock. It'll be after the AFC Championship game, which I think just started roughly um, between the Bengals and Chiefs. So he'll have the Admax Corner on after later on tonight, Sunday night, if you're watching us right now on YouTube. So tune in on this YouTube channel for the Admax Corner for recap of NFL's championship weekend or championship Sunday. And then we'll have a Let's Rage Cougs Thursday after dark, basically. And then we'll do another Let's Talk Houston Rockets on Saturday. So a lot of 
content provided for you on this channel. We enjoy doing it. We enjoy the feedback we're getting uh, for Less Raid Cougs that Indianes took the idea and has done a great job just running with it. And, and kudos to him and Dayon for what they're doing. Onward and upward for all of us. Thank you very much for watching Folks Talking Sports, sponsored by Five Star Properties. One final time, Folks Talking Sports is sponsored by Five Star Properties, a Dallas-based company owned by a UH alum. If you are facing foreclosure or need to sell your house as is for cash, call 972-532-SELL or visit their website at fivestarprops.com. Thank you once again to the folks at Five Star Props for sponsoring us. One more time, that number is 972-532-SELL, 972-532-7355, website, fivestarprops.com. Until next weekend, everybody take care. Peace.